everyone. This is Dr. Alex Avila with Love University, and we're back. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. Every week, we talk about how to love ourselves, others, and a higher nature, how to improve our finances, career, health, relationships, and spirituality. And we have a very uh, intriguing returning guest here, Darlene Lancer, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, expert author on relationships, narcissism, and codependency. She's counseled individuals and couples for over 30 years and coaches internationally. She's also an emotional intuitive, which I find interesting, and has mm-hmm. been a senior mediator in Los Angeles Superior Court. Uh, she is a sought-after speaker in media and at professional organizations and conferences and has written 10 books, including Codependency No More, which I have here. And the one we're going to talk about today is Daily Loving and Leaving a Narcissist. Welcome to the show, mm-hmm. uh, Darlene. Thank you. I just want to clarify, it's codependency for dummies. It's not codependency no Oh, okay. Codependency for oh for dummies. Yeah, okay. That's the classic series. Right. <laughs> uh, now you say you're an emotional intuitive. What is that exactly? Well, I just get these insights. I'm very good at under- figuring out like the cause of something or what people are feeling uh, and why they're feeling it. So um, I've had psychic experiences. Okay, interesting. It just uh, it's just a talent and sensitivity I have to. Right. Now, I wrote a book, uh, if you recall, Darlene, I wrote the book Love Types on Myers-Briggs and, and personality mm-hmm. relationships. And I think right. uh, you seem like an INFP, if I'm not incorrect. Uh, do you know what that is? Um, Myers-Briggs? INFJ, INFJ. INFJ. Okay. So you're more structured yeah. personality. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then yeah. you have introvert, intuitive, introverted feeling. And then uh, right. actually, I call that the mystic writer. And those actually are very spiritual, intuitive kind of folks right. that so help I people. Hear. I used to be more extroverted, and then yeah, I, I got more into my spiritual side. And right, Young talked and, about uh, uh, that part of individuation where we kind of start to combine different elements. Now, actually, yep. the P P has been my weakest. Oh P, oh, it's were been you my more, weakest? Were you the P before? Uh, the P means spontaneous. No, it's just been it's been my weakest function. Oh, weakest function. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. Now you have a very interesting ba- backstory. When I was reading the book, uh, you talk about the the narcissist personality. And um, and you deal, I guess, with some of the dark sides of personality, you could say, or, or humanity. I'm wondering why. And you said that you actually were married to an alcoholic, abusive husband. Right. And you left him, and then you left the law. You were a lawyer, too. So you left everything. Tell us about At that story. At the same time. Yes, that's not interesting. So what, what happened there? Well, I was in 12-step programs. I was in Eleanor, which I've written about in the Dunning's book. And I continued to grow and set boundaries and build my self-esteem and be more autonomous. I got married very young, and my husband was a little older than me. He was already a lawyer, and I was just taking, I met him when I was in law school. So as I came into my own and uh, my in, developed my interests, which were very different from him, um, I became more independent. He didn't like that too much. <laughs> But I started setting boundaries, and the relationship improved. But I really wanted more from it, and I started therapy. And uh, I got to the point where I realized I said, "Interesting," because I was sitting at an Eleanor meeting one day, <laughs> and I realized I would leave not because I was so unhappy, because I was happy in spite of the marriage. Mm, interesting. And I tell that to people, and I write about it in my book. It's yes. like. It's hard to leave a relationship when you've been so focused on the other person, they become your world, and it, your world revolves around them. 
So if you want to leave, you have nothing to go to. So I had developed a life independent of my marriage. And um, so it wasn't, it was like the marriage became less and less important in my life. Interesting. And he wasn't willing to make changes, unable to make changes. I see. So it just kind of dissolved. And the power started shifting. And that's what I write a lot about in my book. And I understand that um, professionally and uh, personally and clinically, and I've seen it with my patients, when you start taking back your power, and that's what my book is about, uh, there's something called narcissistic collapse. <laughs> and uh, at one point, my my husband said he, he had a lot of self-loathing. He hadn't realized how dependent he was on. Mm. Well, before we get into that, the, the, yeah. let me clarify for our audience. So the narcissistic personality, uh, and then you have the codependent personality. So narcissistic, mm-hmm. and the, a lot of people use this term. I hear this a lot. You know, they're a narcissist. She's a narcissist. Or mainly he's a narcissist. And I know that there's a clinical aspect as well. And um, in terms of what it means, uh, narcissistic personality disorder, DSM-5-TR, uh, talks about someone who has grandiosity, this feeling of you know, greatness, a need for admiration, lack of empathy. And... Um, was that your husband? Were you, was he a narcissist? Were you a codependent, as far as you could tell? Well, I was definitely codependent. I think he was codependent too. I, I was going to say I think that mm-hmm. narcissists are codependent too. Yes, I don't it, think he. I don't think he had a narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. So looking back, um, but he did have a personality disorder and mm, I see. Uh, probably borderline. Oh, okay, um, those kind of things. So, yeah. Let me get and the drinking. Oh, okay. Well, that's a whole different topic. But the, the key of narcissism, a lot of people are fascinated by this. People ask a lot of questions. Uh, what is, uh, are we becoming a narcissistic society where people are self-focused, maybe not empathetic and so forth? And the idea that typically, I think a three to two, it's a three to two ratio, male to female, are narcissistic personality disorders. Uh-huh. I think uh-huh. they said uh, 1.6 to 2% of the population. Uh-huh. Uh, but they said more females uh, in your book you mentioned are becoming that way. Now, is that true? Are females becoming more narcissistic? Uh, and also the society. I mean, I don't know because I don't do these uh, big sociological studies. I, but uh, probably because women are becoming more independent, they're marrying later, um, and there's so much emphasis on appearance. And one of the things I say in uh, my book, Conquering Shame and Codependency and Codependency for Dummies, is that the more we focus outside ourselves, the more we become self-alienated from our true self. And it's like an alcoholic, he's feeling depressed or unhappy, takes a drink to feel better. And the more he drinks, the further he gets away from himself and the problem. His situation, his life, his feelings get worse and worse. And it's the same with the codependent. The more you're looking you know, to your partner relationship, or it could be food or gambling or whatever the addiction is, the further you get away from the solution, which is going inside mm-hmm. and self-love and connecting with yourself. Yeah. And our culture emphasizes that. Mm-hmm. So everything's getting faster and faster. Yeah. So much distraction. So that's, I think, part of it. Right. But if you're just, in a nutshell, the term narcissist, you know, we know the, um, there's a myth, the Greek myth of the person that falls in love mm-hmm. with them, their own image or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is it, narcissism? Narcissist, well, narcissistic personality disorder. You're talking about. 
Uh, no, just narcissism in general. Let's say, aside from the personality disorder, maybe someone doesn't have okay. the full disorder, but they have certain parts of this thing. Okay, well, there's healthy narcissism. Actually, I think that codependents don't have enough narcissism. Ah, okay. I actually had a dream that I needed to be more narcissistic. <laughs> yeah, I read that about Yeah, like putting yourself first Okay. Uh, in a lot of situations. In, I mean, at least having a choice. Self-confidence. Codependence. Not like yeah, confidence, leadership goals, uh, self-efficacy, codependents yeah. don't usually have that ability, agency. Mm. You know, they talk about the grandiose narcissist as being agetic. That's a political <laughs> term. So yes. having agency that you can ah. make things happen and okay. you're not a victim of them. And you don't need, usually codependents need a, a partner, structure, a, a teacher, a guide, somebody mm. to motivate them to do something. Mm. Otherwise, they get deflated. Wait. So having that agency, and there's a lot of very, I mean, Oprah is an example. Somebody who has healthy narcissism. Yeah. And a lot of leaders and CEOs are like that. Right. I was thinking about that. And uh, when I was in graduate school, we all took the MMPI, uh, personality, you know, abnormal personality. And they said that sure. basically a lot of people have slight elevations on some of the scales who are very successful. For example, right. uh, mania is a high energy. You know, some of the geniuses have that. Uh, mm -hmm. Psychopathic deviate or sociopath, uh, some of our police officers need to have that uh, to understand the criminal mind. You know, they need to right. not have the guilt, I guess, when they do things, uh, you know, to apprehend them. Uh, and I'm thinking of the idea of narcissisticness or narcissistic trait. I guess to be a great salesperson, or even a politician uh, persuader, they need to have some of that element, you're saying, right? This kind of. Uh, right. And actually, you know, people will bite the finger as someone who's arrogant or selfish and think they're a narcissist. That is, you know, arrogance is a, is one of the traits, but a selfishness isn't. So you, uh, you can uh, have healthy pride. A lot of codependents uh, are afraid that it's conceited. You know, they feel guilty yes. taking pride in themselves. And some yes. clients have told me that in their religion, they were told that that would be, you know, conceited or hubris or something like that. So mm. they couldn't even have confidence uh, in themselves. So would you say that... Um... Narcissism is unmerited confidence versus healthy self-esteem is merited confidence. Would you talk about it well, that way? Actually, most most um, narcissists are riddled with shame. They may huh? not be conscious, Ugh. but if you look at all the different traits of the personality disorder, yes. they're all a defense to shame. They have to pump themselves up. They have to be around high-status people. Mm. They have to look down on other people to build right. themselves up right. like a bully. Right. You know? But are they really so, that good or, or is it an, an inflated, out of realistic uh, perception? Well, it's usually somewhat inflated, but there are narcissists that are successful too. And they're smart and they're talented. Mm. Uh, so they may be at the top of their field. So right. it's not necessarily true. They may be women that are beautiful are narcissists and some <laughs> like are not so, you know, beautiful and uh, they right. think they're great. Uh, right. So right. there's, but all of the traits and putting other people down, mm. uh, feeling entitled, uh, exploiting, these are all mm. envying people. That's all a way to feel better than someone else because they don't feel good about themselves inside. That's right. a hidden secret that they're like paper tigers. I see. And I remember when I was looking at this stuff, 
The other aspect of personality disorders is that they may feel they're fine, but other people are not. Uh, but they make other people miserable, in a sense. Uh, so do you see that as, as well? Like some of them are, I guess, blissfully ignorant of their own flaws uh, in a certain way, but then the other people suffer because of them. Well, I have a diagram in my book. Actually, it's in the book on shame, too. And that, um, see if I could explain it. Uh, we have, uh, shame is an interesting emotion because it manifests either sometimes in inflation mm. or deflation. So you can uh, feel better than other people as a defense to feeling uh, deficient in yourself, or you can feel inadequate and then you idealize someone. So you have this internal critic that puts you puts yourself down. Mm. And if you're inflated and you think you're better, then the critic looks at other people, puts other people down, and it's projected outwards. Um, and even people that are not narcissists, they may project that inner critic on someone else and think that other people are judging them, really? whether you know it's really themselves that are judging. Interesting. Or they think they're better, competing, they're better than, you don't have to be a narcissist. They right. think you're better than someone else or worse than someone else. I see. And the fact that I studied both shame and codependency and narcissism, shame is the link between all three things. Yeah, Underlies codependency yes. and addiction and narcissism. Right. Well, shame is an interesting term because I know that in the East, uh, shame is sometimes a tool for correction and discipline in, in childhood. But I'm not sure about the Western society. They, they say we're shameless. So where does the shame come from, in a sense that you're saying? Is it like as a child, your parents said you're bad kind of thing? That's uh, because, one way. Right. Yeah. Or, or it could, it could be... It could be just emotional abandonment. So a sure. lot of people yes. think they had a happy childhood because maybe their material needs were right. met, but their parents uh, said, oh, don't you shouldn't feel that way, or you're overcorrecting them, um, uh, parentification so they don't get to be a child, right? Uh, or just ignoring them. Overla over overly indulgent. A lot of you also mentioned overly indulgent parents or a mother. Right. Like, uh, how would that create the narcissist? Because you're too good, you're... You know, to special. They don't realize they don't realize the impact of the behavior. It's important to let children mm. know that, like, if they're cruel to somebody, what that feels like, and maybe they'll lose friends mm. if they steal, if they lie. Uh, people won't trust them. The impact of their behavior, consequences, and boundaries. Right. If you just say you're a bad boy, you're a bad mm. girl, or call them names derogatory, then that shames them. Uh, I had a client whose uh, parents. Gave her a lot of tutoring to help her with her grades, and she still wasn't getting good grades. And she felt that as they were trying so hard to make her be an A student and pushing her that way, that she thought, I must be flawed. So yes. it could be in, inadvertent, too. <laughs> or you just have too many children or financial, marital stress, and you don't have time to really listen and be present for your child. A child needs to feel not just the words, I love you, but that you value them as an individual. Mm. You want to spend time with them. You want to yes. listen to them. That with not conditional love, it's not just because I get A's or I'm an athlete or talented, that I love you and I care about you for who you are as a separate person. Yes. And that's very important. Definitely. Yeah, that's so 
uh, yeah, empath- unconditional positive regard or, or empathy. And I see a lot exactly. of psycho- psychodynamicness in some of your work. It looks like you talk about the um, defense mechanisms, I think, uh, yeah. for the narcissist. Um, so use a kind of interesting terms. Uh, you say narcissistic vulnerability. I think it covered toxic shame. Narcissistic mm-hmm. defenses, uh, arrogance, denial, uh, and things like that. Uh, projection and envy. I guess they envy other people as well. Right. And then you say narcissistic defenses, uh, I think we just uh, talked about. So tell us a little bit about those things. How does that work? Well, some of them are just defenses to shame, which I write about in my book on shame. So envy is a defense to shame. Huh. So you don't feel that you have envy of somebody else and you feel maybe anger towards them or you want what they have. You're not feeling what you're missing. So you don't feel that way. Or aggression. So you are um, pushing them like a bully, basically. You put them down and you feel, or arrogance, I feel better than you. So uh, you're lower or looking down at certain groups of people, minorities, uh, things like that. Um, Projection is, it's not me, it's you. So a lot of times uh, a narcissist they're unconscious. The de- denial is a defense of their own uh, flaws. And it was never their fault, basically. They can do... Yeah, they, they'll see it in somebody else. Ah. Actually, here's a difference between codependence and narcissists in boundaries. They both have dysfunctional boundaries. There's a lot of similarities, but they're mirror images. So uh, a codependent doesn't see themselves, basically. They're focused on someone else. A narcissist doesn't see other people. Ooh. Everything, everyone is a extension of themselves. People you're telling me they're a like, good match in, in a love relationship? I mean, yeah. a complimentary. Well, in the beginning. Ah. Then the gradually, here's the ma- another difference. Okay. The narcissist will seek power to feel safe. A codependent seeks connection. Hmm? They want love. They want hmm. you to love them. Yes. They want to please you to feel safe. You won't hurt me if. You love if we're close, okay? Wow. So a narcissist puts power first, and they will sacrifice the relationship to get it. A codependent will sacrifice sacrifice themselves to keep it, yeah. to keep the relationship. I see. So they both put the narcissist first. Ah. They agree. It's till there's mm. more and more pain. Ugh. Codependent is feeling more and more pain, right. and the narcissist is more disillusioned with their partner because they're never good enough, and their own discomfort starts to upset them. They project it on their partner, Look. and then it it gets worse and worse. Interesting. Now, the other thing, um, Darlene, that I found kind of very interesting is uh, you have classifications, different types of narcissists. Now, grandiose, you know, the guy, I'm, uh, I'm too great, you know, uh, the malignant pushes people down, the bully, which well, I understand that, but the two that are kind of um, atypical, apparently, was is a vulnerable one. You said like a shy, introvert, meek person, and they're a narcissist, possibly. And then you talk about the communal, which is someone that wants to bring, I guess, uh, carry to other people, supposedly, but in a selfish way. So how are those two narcissists? Aren't they like uh, pretty innocent people? <laughs> apparently. Well, the communal might look innocent, but... Uh... Rather than idealizing, well, the baby is power in a way, but rather than idealizing power, they want to be the most supportive, Look. the most generous, Look. the most helpful, 
but it's all for their ego. Guilty if you don't appreciate them. Is that how it works? Yeah, right. In their image. So there might be narcissists in the, um, you know, in religious organizations Mm -hmm. or philanthropists, and you think that they're great, and they just feel so inflated because they're the head of this organization or the PTA (laughs) or so generous, but. It's all selfish. They don't really have empathy. Mm-hmm. Now, the vulnerable narcissist looks mm-hmm. more like a borderline. And mm-hmm. the, of the clients I have that are involved with vulnerable narcissists, their life is really held because mm-hmm. um, at least the extroverted narcissist can puff himself up. He can boost himself up, mm-hmm. um, even if it's not true. He just makes himself, he buoys himself up to feel better. Right. It's kind of false pride. But the vulnerable narcissist is very moody mm. and complaining, Pass- whining. Yeah. And maybe suicidal mm. and manipulative. Instead of telling you directly what to do, he'll make ah. you feel sorry for him. And then if you're empathetic, you want to take care of him and, mm. and help him, but he'll never turn around and help you. Mm. So it's kind of a very high degree of self centeredness. Is what I'm seeing mm-hmm. from all these narcissistic types. Uh, not right. much empathy, like I said. You know, not putting yourself in other people's shoes. Uh, and the thing is that when it gets to dating and relationships, I know we could probably have a whole, you know, session on this, just this alone. Is all the problems that occur, and a lot of people suffer a lot. Uh, you said it's very exciting in the beginning. They're charismatic. They uh, love bomb you. They give you everything mm-hmm. that you think you want. Uh, but then they withdraw. And they get mad when you don't give them what they think you, they should be getting right. in terms of putting them up on a pedestal, almost like a worship thing. And the other thing you talk about is intermittent reinforcement, the upper conditioning where uh, they may give you some praise, but then they pull it back and you don't know when they're going to give you more praise. So you're going to keep trying to, I guess, chase them and persist them. Like a slot machine, right? You know how you pull the, the, the machine. Exactly. It doesn't pay off the first time. It could be the hundredth time, but you don't know. So you keep pursuing them. So how is that a problem in, in dating in relationships? Well, that might not come out until later in the relationship, the intermittent mm-hmm. reinforcement, because in the beginning, they want to make you love them. That's one of the ways they're going to feel good and, and get power. You know, then once they know you're hooked, they don't want to work so hard. They didn't even learn how to feign empathy and be a, you know, a skilled conversationalist. Sometimes people involved with narcissists wonder. And to somehow their words don't feel genuine. Yeah. But people that are married to narcissists and they say, oh, it's all great in the beginning. Later, they look back and say, well, there were signs. Look. You know, I found out that he was flirting with my girlfriend or, you know, she uh, insisted that we, you know, go to the most expensive places or something. But yeah. Some signs might be the lack of empathy, how they treat people that are uh, service employees, like yes. the waiter. Waiters, yeah. Things like that. The car, yeah. the ballet. Right. Uh, how they talk about their ex. Do they degrade Look. other people? Interesting. Because sooner or later, they're going to you know, talk to you that way. I see. So, so red flags at the beginning of the relationship, you're telling, I guess, primarily women, if that's males or this, is to um, be aware of it <laughs> and to leave, do no? the two. Run. Well, watch their behavior, not just their words. So, you know, there's a flip side of this. And then the codependent, I write about 
uh, they're hidden, not just the warning signs, but they're the red flags, but they're all um, in themselves, their vulnerability. Like if you're depressed, if you haven't felt love, if you're not happy being on your own, um, if you're lacking what we talked about, agency, then you're going to idealize this other person. And if you don't have good self-esteem, when they, you know, on the, you know, first date, bring you flowers and tell mm -hmm. you how wonderful you're perfect for yeah. them, you're going to believe it. Right. But I'm going to get married to Tahiti and get married tonight, you know, or a week later. Yeah. It's just a oh, we're going to run off to, you know, <laughs> the Eiffel Tower for dinner or something. Right. Exactly. So a normal person wouldn't do that. It ah. takes time to get to know someone. Yes. And you would realize that this person is unstable. But a lot of times, because of their childhood and background, codependents confuse um, anxiety and excitement, Dang. particularly if there's been some sexual uh, dysfunction or abuse in the family. So all this excitement and intensity is thrilling, right. but it's really, they don't realize they're anxious. They yeah. don't feel comfortable setting boundaries. They mm. don't feel comfortable saying no. They yeah. don't know when the person's going to call again, and they're, you right. know, in pins and needles. That's not healthy. Not, That's not good. Yeah, I call that oh. negative excitement. You know, people thrill seeking, That's right. but in a negative uh, way internally. But most codependents have never felt safe in a relationship, but they don't know it because <laughs> they never felt it. So Actually, drama, melodrama, feeling, walking they, on eggshells, maybe that was in their home growing up. So you're saying the codependent is their primary target or the primary person they attract? Or are there other types that the narcissist? Well, there are, sometimes they hook up with other narcissists. Oh. They do like someone who's going to reflect well on them. Pretty interesting. Two narcissists so going down talented. the street. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they will look for someone who is going to make them look good. I see. So maybe someone who's yes. accomplished or beautiful. Right. Well, you know, um, now you really have some good material in this book about Basically, what to do if you're with a narcissist, you know, how to, um, I guess, extricate yourself from that scenario. And you talk about things like, uh, well, initially, uh, don't be available 24 seven, um, confront their bad behavior. But also if you're in a relationship, you talk about gray rock, which I guess is becoming very unresponsive and dull. So hopefully they leave you, I guess get tired of you, but then that can also initially increase their attention, right? Cause they want to get that, the reinforcement from you. Uh, so that's an interesting strategy. Uh, yes. There's this very popular term now, and I say there's, you know, be careful because if you go gray rock and you really want more attention, they might just look outside the relationship. So it's mm. good when you're ready to getting ready to leave, right? Um, to maybe have them want to leave, so it's right. less confrontational. Yes, uh, or you've already left and you're co-parenting, you may want to be gray rock, but that's one risk that they will just leave you rather than turn towards you. Right. And the other is that you'll start getting numb to your feelings. Yeah. If you do this too long, you'll just oh. numb out, and that's not healthy for your own self. So these are kind of the scam strategies, I guess. Uh, but also you said they can come back and do hovering, where they hover over you, like on your social media, they follow you around and stuff. They send people after you. You call them monkeys or something. They're friends. <laughs> <laughs> to try to like attack you, assassinate your character. So they may retaliate at some point. So it's not that easy to get rid of these people is what you're saying. They can really well, especially on. a vulnerable narcissist because they're very ah. needy. Yes. You know, 
um, it may take a year. Like uh, you might even have to um, change your name or something, or change your ad- address or something. Well, that's an extreme case, but mm-hmm. you might um, have to have very change your phone number, things like that. Credit Not card. every narcissist is like that. Yeah. And we're happy to move on, but yeah. that's just something to be aware of. I want to uh, point out that in terms of confronting, you mentioned confronting abuse, which is very important. Yes. But how you do it is crucial and critical. So uh, arguing, pleading, defending, there's something called jade. You don't justify, you don't argue, you don't defend, and you don't explain. And you don't plead and, you know, all those things that we would naturally do are counterproductive. And I have something described in the book called strategic uh, transactional communication. And you've confronted in a way that the narcissist will hear and take notice and be more motivated to make changes. And I go into each steps on how to do that. So it's it's, some people just say, well, I ignore him. I walk away. Well, that's okay in the short term and mm. in specific situations, mm. but it's more important to to use words too, so they know why yes. you're teaching them. Like I said, with children, mm. the impact of their behavior. Right, it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, uh, we're almost out of time, but it's this is something we can go on long and long. I'd love to have you back again uh, Thank because you. ultimately, I think you're talking about self love as one of your ultimate things. You, you say soul alignment. Uh, and, you know, Love University, one of our things is love yourself, others, and a higher nature. Right. So love yourself in a healthy way, you know, not necessarily egocentrically, but uh, compassionately. And also right. loving others at the same time. And that would be wonderful to talk more about it if you're open to come back uh, to talk to us. Oh, I would love to. So yeah. that's a really a journey, especially yes. when you come from shame. And I just want to commend you. You've covered a lot of material in a short time. Well, you got a lot, a lot to offer here. I mean, I'd love to really dig deeper into the the dummies book a little more, the okay. not just, uh, you know, the codependency and everything. Now, mm-hmm. where can people hear more about your uh, website or work you do? What exactly uh, can you help people with? Well, sure. I have, I'm on just about all social media, and you can Google my name. Uh, my website is whatiscodependency.com, oh. mm-hmm. and I have another one that's just my name. Mm-hmm. And you can follow me on uh, Facebook or Twitter Welcome that all my books are described and available on my website. Uh, well, the dummies in the book on shame are mm. uh, in stores and online stores. Mm. But uh, my mo- new book on narcissism, uh, there's, li- by the way, there's links to everything. Okay. You have a new have book? S- Is this the newest book or you have a newer book? That's the new- newest one. Okay. Dating, Loving, and Leaving a Narcissist. Uh, and uh, YouTube channel, you can hear more of my interviews mm-hmm. and seminars and... Mm-hmm. I've written about seven or eight who's track workbooks to help really? you uh, learn new skills mm. because a lot of overcoming codependency is just learning skills yes. like yes. assertiveness and self-esteem. Right. And I have a self-love meditation wow. and a soul alignment meditation. Actually, so you know a lot of great materials and courses and you still do uh, private practice like therapy? Yes. Yes. So people can contact you at darlelancer.com. Is that the website? That or what is codependency done? Okay. And um, the other thing, I mean, I like to talk to you, you mentioned a lot about shame. And I guess uh, that's a very big issue. And I was thinking um, in the East, you know, they have that as um, a bringing idea. But I guess you're saying in the West, we have it too, very strongly. Oh, I didn't get to respond to that. Oh. I talk about it in my book. Yes. In collectivist cultures, it's not just right. the East, in South America. Yes. Um, 
Shame is used for socializing children mm-hmm. and correcting them. Yes. And uh, sometimes it's they bring in like the neighbors or the whole town to shame you. It's really mm-hmm. horrific. Yes, it is. And shame um, makes you feel uh, irredeemable. Mm. It's not productive at You're all. Worthless, but about you. Right. And in Western, in Europe, in the States, in more Western cultures, guilt is more used to yeah. uh, correct and, and socialize right. children. Shame mm. is definitely there, ah. but uh, it's mm. not used as much. It'll just as often say you're ashamed to the family. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. You, you shame the whole community by this, but it, but it's individually, I guess you're saying, right? The guilt. And, and guilt, this is, I was surprising to learn, and I go into my book on shame, the differences between shame and guilt. Ah. Guilt actually can build self-esteem because it's about your behavior, not about you. Right. So you can make amends. The 12-step programs right. turn shame into guilt. You can go make amends. Mm. You can uh, change your behavior. You can become an upright citizen, and then it's like you're forgiven. Right. You were a lawyer before, so you probably work with people that have done bad things, and maybe they're- uh, I did some criminal law in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. So they want to change your life a lot. All right, Darlene, it's been a wonderful having you on the show. Again, we'd love to have you back. Uh, oh, thank so you. Self-love and uh, also loving others. You know, Compassion and empathy is very- uh, been great talking to you. Thank Fantastic. you very much. So until next time, this is Dr. Alex Avedo, Love University. So go out this week, love yourself, love others, and love a higher nature. Put away your notebooks, your iPads, your phones. Class is now dismissed. Yeah, that was a really great interview with Darlene Lancer. You know, people often ask me, I'm dating somebody. They're a narcissist, or I'm in a relationship, or a marriage, and they're a narcissist. And uh, we've got to be you know, careful about how do we define these things. But apparently the key is lack of caring, empathy, uh, Focus, self-focus, you know, just on yourself as the so-called special person. Well, you're really not uh, necessarily. I mean, you're unique in a way, but you're not better than others. So we need to be able to have humbleness, appreciation for our talents. You have confidence as well. So I think the key is the middle path. Find the way in which you can be self-confident, have a strong ego, but also be loving toward others, be empathetic, compassionate, and also lift other people up, which will make you also happier and more joyous. So if you want to be on the show in the future, comment on today's show. Or if you have a show idea, you can reach us at 310-226-8090. You can go to loveuniversity.love. You can write us at loveuniversitylove at gmail.com. Call us at 310-226-8090. You can download the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. And you can follow us and like us on Facebook and Instagram at Love Letter U Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, also Love Letter U Podcast. So until next time, this is Dr. Alex Avio. Put away your notebooks, your iPads, your phones. Class is now dismissed. <laughs>